This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we support design engineers and make lightning protection easy. You're listening to the Struck Podcast. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm Alan Hall. And here on Struck, we talk about everything aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. All right, Alan. So another week, another episode. How is everything out there in uh, Massachusetts? Well, Dan, you know, it's weird. We we're seem to be coming out of the coronavirus thing just fine, but now we're in a drought. And I know last week we we're talking about, uh, was it locusts or cicada? What's the crazy yeah, bugs that we have? cicadas, yep. Yeah. So we've gone to from corona to drought <laughs> to insect infestations. So it's crazy right now. Uh, and it's still mid-June, you know? It's it's supposed to be... It is nice outside. It'll start but, raining uh, snakes probably any day. It'll start raining cobras. <laughs> Cats and dogs. Yeah. <laughs> any kind of small animal. Well, no. We snakes, know we did it. snakes will come out of the toilets. That's what it'll, that's what it'll be. <laughs> so in today's episode, uh, in our first segment, in our, in our news segment, uh, we've got uh, about Spirit. You know, they're one of the big uh, part suppliers for Boeing. So some news there. The last A380... Uh, you know, end of an era is uh, is on our list here. We're going to talk about some of the new developments in uh, cabins and specifically seats. Obviously, this is big time re-coronavirus. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about uh, United Airlines Flight 811, which this is kind of in our learn from failure segment, which uh, obviously aviation has evolved a lot over the years. And we're going to talk about just how cargo doors have changed, uh, in part because of that incident, which is really, really fascinating. I mean, tragic, but a really interesting story. And, and the investigation took some twists and turns. Mm. And then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Airbus's new drone copter and this potential flying car model uh, that's uh, after the Israeli Cormorant, um, which is, I guess, not... Uh, it, it's like a prototype vehicle, but it's actually flown. It just hasn't had any uh, right. passengers in it yet. So, um, right. so Alan... What's uh what's the deal with Spirit? Spirit is a big supplier to Boeing, has been that way for a long time. They also supply parts to Airbus and I think they used to do Gulfstream too. But they're a big 737, 787 supplier to, to Boeing and with the 737 Max essentially on hold until we get to flight testing. What looks like flight testing with the FA is coming up at the end of this month, but the they just had to put it on hold. Uh, yeah. they, they have so many airplanes on the ground already. What are they going to do? You can't keep putting more airplanes on the ground. So Boeing finally issued the stop work to Spirit. Now, but I, the things I've been reading about it are that the the stop work is only for about two to three weeks. At least that's the initial cut on it is in a couple of weeks, everybody's going to be brought back. They think the flight test will be done and then we're quasi back to normal again. Which yeah. is good. So it's it's not permanent layoffs, but it's still not any fun because Wichita is just getting hammered right now because Textron, Cessna, Beach have, have been shut down for a while, uh, and since Boeing is essentially pulled out of Wichita, it's been pretty rough there. And Bombardier uh, selling off all their business, everything but the business airplanes, it's been pretty tough times in Wichita. Yeah. So it looks like yeah, like you said, twenty one day layoff uh, was announced uh, Wednesday. And so Spirit, which makes the 737 fuselage, is going to furlough or lay off temporarily about 900 workers. So, yeah, I mean, you don't think I, I think a lot of people out there don't think about the trickle down 
with you know how Huge many of these incredibly mm-hmm. complex machines are parted out and subcontracted to so many other smaller companies that are yeah. you know essentially like those little those little fish that you know follow the big whale right and they they're just yeah. along for the ride the whole time so um, a lot of all the sub suppliers get shut down when that happens uh wichita's of a town of 250,000, 300,000 people. So you wouldn't think 900 employees would make that big of a difference, but it really does have a significant impact on the community because those 900 people are not going out to dinner, they're not shopping. Everything kind of stops for them for a couple of weeks because they're going to try to conserve and do everything they can until the job starts again. So it's a bigger impact on the community than just the 900 it affects a lot of families and it directly affects the economy in Wichita every yeah. time this happens. Yeah. You it's just tough. never hopefully, get used to it. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we're through this, uh, this sooner than later, but mm. you know, who knows, like we said, it could be, could be raining snakes before we you know we have to, we have to yeah. halt all of our traffic because there's too many snakes in the, in the skies. And, and we need to talk a little bit about the, uh, the 737. So they're trying to get that re, certified but some of them are still right. in operation is that right so explain that to me well not that not the maxes the maxes aren't right so anything yeah. that had the the uh new flight control system that that was acting up and they had to recertify all those airplanes were immediately grounded right so they got grounded overseas and they got then the the president grounded him in the states those airplanes are not flying it's all the older airplanes the 737 700s 800s are flying not the dash 8 or dash 9 which were the maxes uh so at some point though uh, that's what Boeing was making was the Maxes and that's what's sitting on because uh, I think there's 400 plus airplanes on tarmacs right now of new airplanes that they got to deliver pretty soon it's gonna have to happen sooner rather than later they can't sit on those airplanes forever uh, but there's a there's a bunch of going back and forth this week uh, between the European regulators Boeing and the FAA because the FAA wants to get to a test flight. So does Boeing because that's sort of the last little checkbox before they can get back to delivering aircraft. And uh, it sounded like the EASA and the Europeans wanted some additional features to be put on the airplane, like synthetic airspeed, which is a new thing for yeah. Boeing. And Boeing mm-hmm. declined to do, at least declined to do that up front and said they would do it. It's sort of a software thing uh, that they can add onto the airplane. So, so that's can you happen. can you explain real quick what synthetic airspeed is? Uh, so it's not actually a true measurement of airspeed. They're using at least the description. I in the Airbus airplanes already have this, and so uh, I think Yasa was just familiar with it. It sounds like it's a combination of some air data, but also coupled with GPS uh, position and GPS airspeed. So it it's sort of another check on airspeed. Think of it that way. So it's, it's like an electronic check on airspeed that actually isn't directly measuring airspeed. You can kind of you can kind of cheat airspeed there's when you get at altitude there's things about air densities that play into airspeed um but in this particular case you're just trying to give you another another bit of information to compare against it's not a bad idea i just think boeing decided not to do it early on and didn't have the means to incorporate it and they couldn't do it on a, on a very quick turn notice so boeing sort of balked and the fa said they didn't really need it but it sounds like boeing's going to agree to do it which is fine. You know, I think everybody's got to come together and figure out what the right direction forward is. It's just uh, when you get as many certification organizations overlooking a particular design, you're going to have 
differing opinions and differing outcomes because that's what they're familiar with. Like if, if we were down in Brazil looking at the way that they've designed Embraer airplanes, the authorities in Brazil would want it done differently because that's what they're used to. Same thing with the ASA, same thing all over the world. It's not any different. Russia's different than the United States. Oh, that's fine. But if you're Boeing and you're delivering airplanes to all those different places, you got to satisfy all those groups and that can get a little overwhelming. Gotcha. So uh, the Airbus A380 looks like they're delivering their final plane. Yeah. So yep. why is that the end of an era? Why was the A380 uh, important or interesting? Well, it was a, really the biggest passenger airplane. It's just truly a double decker, unlike the 747, which had a limited upper deck. The A380 could haul over 800 people at any time. The, and, you know, it's one of those crazy things you read about that the in the United States press you read you read it right up this way uh, Boeing tricked Airbus into building the A380 Boeing feigned like they were going to make this double decker big airplane basically take the 747 and put the double decker all the way down the whole length of the airplane Airbus didn't have anything to compete with it Boeing played it up enough and introduced it and said they're going to make it so that Airbus had to go respond to it. Then Airbus came out with the A380 and Boeing said, well, we're not going to do it. And this left Airbus to hang out to dry. That's what the press in the United States would say. I I don't know. So that's necessarily true. I think Airbus is smarter than that and probably thought about that outcome. But I think they had a market for the airplane. It's a four engine airplane. Four engine airplanes are expensive on fuel. uh, and, And it had limited places where it could fly because of the weight and also because you had two decks you had to unload so that made it um difficult and that there's only certain places in the united states which can accommodate it and that was one of the first hurdles and the second hurdle is it just never really had great sales i don't think any of the u.s big bigger u.s airlines ever incorporated one after all these years and so that doesn't really help an air uh, an airplane you got to have a delta or a united or an american in the u.s to help keep the 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 factory line running and they just never got to that point so gotcha just not enough yes. wide, widespread adoption no yeah it's just not it's kind of like the i want to say it's like the concord but it's kind of like the concord you never had a u.s operator of it you had british airways you have air france and that was it and you kind of run out of possibilities of delivering an airplane at some point yeah. and they have enough and then you're done then you're done that's where the A380 is, but the A380 still is an engineering marvel. There's no doubt about that. And and Airbus had done a tremendous job of even creating that airplane. The miles and miles and miles of wire. It's like a flying city, right? It's just enormous. And to even think that that was possible is remarkable. So Airbus had done a good job with the airplane. It's just it's really a market and timing will kill all airplanes eventually. Yeah, that makes sense. And then lastly, the uh, the Gulfstream is discontinuing the yeah that's a big one that's been around a long time i think that came out in early 2000s and as the g5 and then it went to the 550 uh, as performance enhancements happened but gulfstream always is evolving into the next airplane the g600 or 650 right and then there's talk of a g7 so there's always the next airplane you're always trying to make the airplane one more efficient more fuel efficient for sure and hopefully faster at the same time and uh more lux- in their case I, th- I think more luxurious right the early gold screens the gold streams threes were nice airplanes but <laughs> it's not a g5 okay and it's not a uh a six so uh in terms of Gulfstream putting 
putting that airplane to bed, it probably makes sense because they want to move on to the next airplane and, and the next engine and the next performance increase. Just, that all makes sense. All it's like auto, it's like cars, right? Every year there's a new model car. On airplanes, it doesn't really happen like that. On airplanes, they they run it as long as there's a marketplace for it, and then they upgrade it when the market gets soft. All right, so we're going to start our uh, our sort of engineering segment on the show here, and we're going to talk about seats and cabin d- dividers. So, obviously, with COVID nineteen planes i mean every business you know where you see it everywhere there's dividers and grocery stores there's all sorts of wacky things in uh in, in restaurants you know the world's changing just to give you a more personal space essentially you know like what's been happening in bathrooms forever you know dividers you know all that sort of stuff it's coming to kitchens it's coming to you know just everywhere so uh, there's a couple different variations here that are happening or, or potentially happening for for some of these commercial airliners which one of them is a it's like a prototype that's like that clear plexiglass kind of just you know boxing you in essentially to your seat so you have a, a plexiglass divider and it looks like they're in the the process of trying to get certified for that there's another uh, this is like a middle seat so it's essentially replacing the middle seat with a sort of winged um divider section uh it looks like upholstered and kind of tapers into the middle it's got cup holders so it's essentially replacing that middle seat and and looks aesthetically like really nice and then there's also uh just some sort of real simple kind of like almost like a sun visor in your car but kind of folds sideways just to give you a little more space and you could potentially rest your head on that well, it sounds like they're adding parts into an airplane. And again, I go back. Anytime you mount something permanently onto the airplane, you got to get it certified. And if it has anything to do where a person could, or if it could come loose in a crash and hit somebody, or you could run into it uh, in a crash situation, there's all kinds of testing to make sure it's safe. We're gonna we're gonna move on to our next segment here. Uh, learn from failure, you know, some of these engineering, um, mistakes over the years and granted the industry is extremely safe, but we're going to talk a little bit about United airlines flight 811. So this one is crazy. And, and you and I both listened to, about this mm-hmm. in, uh, that book that we referenced in a previous podcast, uh, the checklist manifesto. Yep. And so the, the cliff notes of this flight are that the cargo door, this is a 1989 United airlines flight. The cargo door uh, had a latch issue and came ajar just enough to be, you know, blown off by the pressures and aerodynamics of the plane, hit the uh, the fuselage, punched an 11 by 20 hole in it, immediately sucked out nine people. And then obviously the plane was in crisis mode from that point on, but but landed safely beyond that, which is pretty remarkable. Um, so, Alan, you read through the report. Uh, wh- how did this happen? Well, the way that cargo doors were set up on that, on the 747 and a lot of airplanes, that they were not plugged doors. And what I mean by a plugged door, it's like a, a stopper, like at a sink, uh, so that it, uh, the pressure actually forces the door closed against the aircraft skin. 
right? That's the way like emergency exits are designed today. And that's from, like from inside the plane, pushing it towards the outside, correct? Out. Right, yeah. except on the new 737s, uh, which they have a little, they're hinged. So the older airplanes, like a DC-9 had a plug door uh, because anytime you landed, you could smell jet fuel, it sucked. Uh, but the the a lot of the doors are plug doors so they, the the force the pressure in the in the cabin actually pushes the door closed and it has nowhere to go its doors trapped on that 747 it was like a regular door on your on your house or your car more like your car where it's just hinged and yet the door opens outward so to think about pressurizing your car you could put enough pressure in there where the the, the latch mechanism would fail and that door would pop open which is kind of what happened except in this case the investigators went after that accident the door was lost. I mean, the door hit the ocean, right? So they yeah. didn't have the door and they didn't have anybody who knew anything about it because the people who were closest to it were killed in that accident horribly. Uh, so the investigators had gone back and looked at other incidents that had happened and decided that, well, it was some sort of mechanical failure. Like the, these got these little cams. Um, I don't want to describe a cam, but it's like they the call them, C. Yeah. They call them lock they, sectors. Yeah. And yeah. They're made of aluminum and a little bit too thin, they said was part of the yep. issue. Yeah. And so they, they thought maybe they're not taking the load or they're not fully engaged, which if the airplanes bounce around, they could become less engaged and the pressure on the air in the inside of the airplane cabinet could be forcing the door open. Uh, one of the victims' families decided to keep investigating. They thought that answer was not correct and didn't make a lot of sense to them. So they they sort of self-funded uh, more research into it. And they eventually found that door in the ocean. I think it's yeah. like 14,000 feet down. It's some crazy number, right? Mm -hmm. uh, bring up that door and realized it wasn't, a, it wasn't a mechanical failure. It was an electrical failure. The electrical system uh, opened the door, essentially in flight, uh, that there had a, a, some wires that shorted inside the fuselage that told the commanded the little motors that opened the door to open the door in flight. Well, there's no really no way to know that, right? And the only reason that the the investigators kind of figured that out, they had a similar ha accident incident happen on the ground where they had a circuit breaker blow and the door tried to open on one of these airplanes. And they're like, wait a minute, maybe we need to go back and look at the wiring. And they realized the wiring, um, old wiring tends to lose insulation and become very vulnerable to arcing and sparking between wires and wires can touch because they're not necessarily as restricted in movement as we in theory would like them to be. And wires touched and bingo. Uh, so you know, that's a weird one, Dan. Don't you think because because the initial investigation was just so far off the final answer. They weren't really that close. Yeah, it was it was strange. And it, for the family, so Lee Campbell was the, the New Zealander who was one of the nine. And yeah, his parents, Kevin and Susan Campbell, they they took it upon themselves to to go deeper. And I'm not sure that they exactly got the 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 mechanism right of, of failure, the exact mechanism. It seemed yeah. like the recovery of the door was really what but what finished it off, but they yeah. definitely got, I mean, they got Boeing to, or, or not Boeing, but they got the, the NTSB to, to reopen the case and start investigating it again. And then they somehow found that cargo door, which again is miraculous. Yeah. 14,000 feet below the ocean. Like, like how, some how crazy number. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like we don't even know like how many planes or other things have been lost at sea that we don't even, still don't even know where they are, which is just crazy right. to think about. No idea. We found that door. Right. <laughs> Makes no sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But the but yeah. pilots had one hell of a flight too on that, right? Because the, the ox they're at they're at altitude, and when the cargo door let go, it ripped out the basically ripped out the oxygen system, so the pilots didn't have oxygen, and they're at altitude, so they're putting on masks and realize there's no oxygen, which is a double emergency. Now you do not only do you have a hole in the side of the airplane, but now you're at altitude, and you don't have any oxygen, and you don't have a long time before hypoxia sits in, and you will go unconscious or at least forget what you're doing and start making stupid decisions and so you have to get the airplane down fast yeah so and that was why this book was referenced in uh in the checklist manifesto because in this situation they didn't know what was going on like they heard a thump i think is uh well that was i think what <laughs> the door leaving i suppose yeah sure. um but then the 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 they thought it was a terrorist attack. They thought it was like some sort of exp- like a bomb. They didn't know what sure. happened, and they couldn't get a, they couldn't get a hold of the crew. So the uh, I guess not the not the captain, but the you know one of the second in command in the uh, the the flight crew. He goes out to see what's the you know what what's happening, and he sees a ten by twenty hole in the plane. Like I mean, what at that point? It, just what a crazy situation they all found themselves in. And so yeah, they lost quickly numbers their number three and four engines uh, because, you know, debris ejected from the plane was going mm-hmm. into them. And unfortunately, it sounds like uh, a couple people went into the engines. And uh, yeah, so from there, they they started to lose cabin, uh, lost cabin pressure and had to quickly decide what to do, which they had eventually settled on, like, we need to get down to 8,000 feet, you know, as quickly as we can, as we safely can so that we can do this without a pressurized cabin. Yeah. which they successfully did and and everyone else uh was on that plane when it landed which is crazy so well it just tells you the level of training of the pilots even in that situation they knew what they needed to go do and they worked on that checklist to get the airplane back to some level of safety that's well-trained pilots will do that right they're, they're prepared for most incidents not just to, to say you're necessarily prepared for the door to come off the airplane that's not a normal uh day of flight but uh, the door opening is one of those checklist things that if the door does pop open, what do you want to do? You want to get the airplane down to around 8,000 feet so you don't blow it off the airplane. But at this point, it was already too late. Uh, but the same checklist applied, essentially. Crazy. That's yeah. crazy. I mean, you can't imagine just like the gaping look from from the, the crews. As he comes out to see what the commotion's about and sees a 20-foot hole in the mm. airplane, like something you just never expect to see and then make yeah. really good decisions from there on out is uh yeah it's it's remarkable yeah. i mean that's just you just never expect it's like going down you know you just wake up and you go down to your living room there's like a tiger in your living room like what, what, what's, what is happening right yeah. now you know like very you similar decisions yeah. but um, where's my checklist tiger yeah. <laughs> tiger well, in basement right exactly what is <laughs> what do you do there no one knows but yeah i mean it's Get pretty the remarkable out of there. and just yeah. the well i think the big takeaway for me uh, as a as a not aviation lifer is just how much there is to lose on every given part of the aircraft, like how well engineered every single part has to be. Because that lock, which was complicated for sure, it was not mm-hmm. just like a simple, yeah. you know, outdoor out, outhouse latch. No, no. Uh, yeah, very complicated, but had a, you know, a confluence of factors leading to this entire plane almost crashing, which is crazy to think about how every part has to be engineered to such a, a high standard 
that's that's a difference i think in the last 20 odd years or so is just the level of rigor and safety that we put in airplanes it's it's remarkable how much time is spent on that well on something like this i mean i i need to see a photo of the, i actually haven't seen a photo of like what this latch looked like but the way they're describing it i can't even in my mind make sense of what this latch looked like because mm. they're talking about the complex you know it, it rotates into place and it has cams and it has all these different mm. sectors in it and you know how do you design that and then say okay this no. is gonna work 100 percent of the time like we can test that this these kind of things will never happen it just seems like like i said lots of engineering into even the little sort of mm -hmm. afterthought kind of parts yeah it's it's a any any door is complicated and if you've been a <laughs> i've been around too many doors and know how fussy aircraft doors can be because there's so many latches and locking mechanisms and secondary fault features built into those doors so that they don't come open and that you know that they're securely attached and there's visual indicators you can look at to make sure that the door is engaged and all the cams are locked in like they should be it's not it's not a simple mechanism it's not a doorknob yeah by any stretch of the imagination it's nothing like that at all uh it's more like a submarine hatch i mean it's, it's that kind of complexity or uh, like in the if you ever looked at the apollo capsule hatches it's very similar to that where there's just redundancy and redundancy and redundancy yeah complicated thing all right so our last segment of the show we're going to talk about a little bit of new technology and uh today we've got a couple uh so alan there's a lot going on in the vertical takeoff and landing industry oh yeah specifically with uh obviously I, I think the big development is is just electric vertical takeoff mm -hmm. and landing so yep we got a couple and we're going to be doing a lot of different um content on on some of these different aircraft because there's there's so many different ones competing for it just seems like i don't know what's your take are they just competing to be the first to market is that really just the prize yeah. right now yes oh for God's sake, yes. 100%. Uh, okay. Easy answer, oh, everyone. Wow. It's just no, yeah, get, get to market. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like anything else, right? You got to be first to market with a product that makes some sense. Now, the the real thing watching from the outside in, and, you know, it just, you you watch all these different aircraft companies that are eventually, eventually trying to get to the same sort of thing. And I, I don't I don't know if that ever makes sense. Like the, the, to think that there's always going to be this huge commercial market like the average joe like me is going to walk out to the driveway and go fly down to the local quickie mart i i, I don't that 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 ain't happening in my opinion in, in yeah. some parts of the country in the world yes 100 percent, yes but for a large part of it probably not right because uh, it's just not designed for it now i read uh, was it this week where uh the lilium uh e vtol aircraft company is worth a billion dollars us dollars like that seems impossible but okay say they got a billion dollars if you can't build an airplane with a billion dollars then it'll never get done uh and some of these exercises are great but at the end of the day you still have to execute and i'm i'm never confident looking at some of these companies to think that they're going to execute it. Now, Lillian may be able to do it. There's a couple others, Joby Air Aviation. Uh, yeah, and, Joby's uh, a big player. So and I think Joby's probably got to have a bigger valuation. I don't have that number in front of me, but Joby raised almost $600 million recently, a large yeah. chunk of from Toyota. So they're right. very well funded. Yeah. But you should be able to build an aircraft that size for a billion dollars. 
come on that's that's not that's way too much money to build an alan of that alan, size it, alan it's 2020 okay you don't have <laughs> if you i mean i get where you're coming from but what you do today is you race to a really high valuation you raise a ton of venture capital and then you lose right. three million dollars a qu- three billion dollars a quarter and then right, you're yeah. great you're you know you're everyone's favorite uber or whatever <laughs> i mean the, the whole you're right that you should 100 percent be able to build whatever it is you're trying to build for that amount of money but i think yeah it's a car it's a car that elon yeah. must spend that money on a car you know he is on. actually building stuff with his money which is which i do appreciate because That's none of these aircraft companies have actually I mean, they've, they've got some prototypes. Some of them haven't even flown. Some yeah. of them haven't even flown a, a full-size prototype, nor have they flown with anybody inside of it, which is sort of the kicker for me. Like, all right, when we get to the point where we're putting a human in it, then then we're, then we're getting close. We got to get somebody flying inside of these things, not just automate them and control them from the ground. Uh, that's not where it needs to go because you're never going to certify it that way. So what are you going to do? You got to get you got to get a real person in there, and you got to have the confidence to fly that person inside of it. I don't know if it's a confidence factor that is lacking right now, or uh, or a um, they're not uh, sure that the engineering is quite right. But in either case, somebody's got to get there first, and they need to get there pretty fast for as much money as being poured into these aircraft programs. And you got to know that's your only way out of this financial hole you're about to dig. And I mean, I mean a hole, like a crater, like a the, yeah. a moon has run into the earth kind of size hole. That's kind of hole you dig yourself when you're in these programs, you know? Well, it's funny I, you mentioned that because we were talking about uh, the job board on Joby Aviation's website. Yeah. Yep. And it's vast. There's like 50 positions that they're trying to fill. Open. Yeah. And they're probably all what? $200,000 jobs? I mean, high level engineering Could positions, be. you know? I don't know if they're that six, much, but six, six figure yeah. probably, or at least oh, close. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're six figure, yeah. Most yeah, of for them, sure. Probably, yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, think about the cash salary. burn. Yeah, it's a big cash burn. Think about sure. the cash burn, and it's the most expensive place on the planet. Silicon Valley is not cheap. So the cash burn starts to add up, and well, they can that's burn, what scares you. Or they can build these planes via Zoom, can't they? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe, you Stop. know. It, it, that was, a, that was, a, that was a joke, but uh, I, I mean, obviously they it's can do more have to design, happen. design than ever, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, you have to. Well, at some point, you got to build parts. You got to assemble parts. So you got to have somebody putting the part A to part B with some screws. But engineering wise, <laughs> there are some there are some engineers that would gladly work on site for their own sanity. Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of times you just need a, a CAD screen <laughs> and an internet connection, and you're totally fine where no one's bugging you for hours on end. That would be a dream for a lot of engineers. But, um, you know, at some point you got to make, got to make this thing. So yeah. it won't help. Yeah, that's true. But <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. And obviously this other one, uh, we'll touch on is the Israeli cormorant. So have you seen this thing? It's yeah. more like a sort of like yeah. a blade runner style. <laughs> yeah. Which I, what's funny is, <laughs> And it again, is, it is, it totally is, yeah. Yeah, and my That's instincts thought, could yeah. be way off on this, but when I saw it, I was like, oh, that actually, A, it does look more like a flying car, whereas all these other ones mm-hmm. look like mini helicopters. They look like pretty white, futuristic, smaller helicopters, but this one mm-hmm. actually looks like a flying car because the it has two fans in it that are built into essentially where the hood and the trunk would be, and right. then the rest of the body is boxed in where it could actually like bump into stuff. Where if, if you ever really wanted something maybe actually on the street, 
this would be much safer. It would be like chopping off street poles. It'd you know be a little, uh, right. like I said, more of like a bumper car. Um, but what do you think of that design? It's 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 quirkier for sure. They they've tested it unmanned, and right. obviously a lot lighter than having you know four people in it, five people in it. But uh, their mm-hmm. plans are for twenty twenty eight. So coming to you in eight long years, which is oh, kind of makes on. which kind of makes me laugh. That's like their yeah. That's their yeah. That's, that's what it says that's on their website. That's really far out. I mean, in 2028, yeah. well, human beings will just be avatars. Like, we'll, I'll just be... We'll be living on Mars, I'll be, in a, holo- I'll be a hologram, so I don't even need that. <laughs> yeah. I'll lay in bed all day while my avatar, which is a hologram, just runs around the city. So, I'll just teleport. Well, that When I looked at the aircraft, I don't know about you, maybe I've been I'm jilted or, or jaded uh, after all these years of looking at airplanes, but my first thought was... That's a military thing. It does Come well. On, it does right? look very military, yeah. And that was part of the the design is that it could sneak pretty much anywhere, almost into the wilderness, and Heck pick yeah. somebody and pick somebody up and bump into some trees and not, you know, all that sort of stuff. That was part of its oh, allure. And, and they ain't picking anybody up. They're <laughs> they're taking somebody out uh, it, because it would be perfect for like a, a seal group of seals um, or army rangers or somebody to drop in unexpected in some part of the world and do some damage and get the heck out with before they even knew what happened that's Mm -hmm. what it looked like to me Uh, it also had the shape of something that was stealthy and again it's small enough that it'd be very hard to pick up on radar it it is shaped like something stealthy which you know it's like the f-117 it's kind of got those angular shapes like hmm i wonder how rf bounces off that thing huh it's probably got a pretty low R of cross uh, cross section. Uh, okay, so if I fly close to, the, close to the ground, I'm pretty stealthy. I can probably put six guys in this thing, and I can be anywhere in 300 miles uh, within the hour. You know that that kind of thing uh, has a lot of uses. So I kind of wonder if the 2028 uh, expected delivery date was for the commercial civilian version of the thing. It, it is actually it felt yeah. like it's for, okay. the, it's for the, yeah. In New York city, walk out of the pizza place, get onto this car <laughs> and then go <laughs> like Blade Runner, which I'm just, yeah. Uh, I'm laughing, okay. but it's, I mean, it's not unreasonable, I guess. I mean, cause no, it is. It is unreasonable. Let's get to that. Let's get that out right now. There is no way we're flying down fourth avenue or whatever or 52nd street in new york city and getting pizza in this thing you know why because you're going to run into a building and kill a bunch of people so no that is not happening it is not happening okay all right you heard it here first you're never getting Uh, pizza in a flying car you know how you get pizza you call dominoes and they just drive they drive it over or they send it in the little tiny drone i'm okay with that all right well that'll do it for today's episode of struck if you're new to the show, thank you so much for listening and please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the WeatherGuard Lightning Tech YouTube channel for video episodes, full interviews, and short clips from the show. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WGLightning. Tune in next Tuesday for another great episode on aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. Strike Tape, WeatherGuard Lightning Tech's proprietary lightning protection for radomes, provides unmatched durability for years to come. If you need help with your radome lightning protection, reach out to us at weatherguardarrow.com.
That's weathergard, A-E-R-O, dot com.